in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. Timmy Baderman was like that, Lewis, like a zombie in a movie, but he wasn't. There was something more. There was something going on behind his eyes, and sometimes you could see it, and sometimes you couldn't see it. Something behind his eyes, Lewis. I don't think that thinking is what I want to call it. I don't know what in the hell I want to call it. Stephen King, Pet Cemetery, 1983. Welcome back, folks. So I really hope that you enjoyed uh, last month's episode, which was, you know, something a little different, a personal story, but it's time to return to film as we always do. And today's topic is Pet Cemetery, which is near and dear to my heart. And uh, it may seem a little late because, of course, the adaptation came out in April, but I knew that I would not have time to see the new movie in April and have time to formulate any sort of thoughts about how it fits into the overall picture. So I'm sure that you guys have moved on to Avengers. Um, when By the time this airs, hopefully we have gotten uh, an It Chapter 2 trailer or teaser. But I would like to pause and rewind a little bit and uh, refocus on Pet Cemetery. I've mentioned Pet Cemetery in just about every episode of this podcast thus far, and uh, I'm sure that I will be bringing it up a lot more in the future because it is such an important uh, material to me. But today is going to really just be my deep dive, you know, definitive stance on Pet Cemetery. I feel like this story has a lot in it, just a lot of like truth and relatability about life and what we go through with family and with death, just some really core human experiences. Because of that, I don't think we've seen the last of Pet Cemetery. I feel like we'll get another adaptation maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 30 years. Um, but we have not seen the last of Pet Cemetery, but I think we've seen the last of it for now. So it's a good time to just sit down and really dig in to what it means. So I'm going to talk about the book and both films. So this is going to be a spoiler filled episode. So if you don't want the book spoiled or if you haven't seen one of the movies, maybe don't listen to this right now. If you're a casual Pet Cemetery fan and you haven't read and seen both, you're probably fine. But anyway, if you're real nerdy about it like me, go consume all the material and then come back to this. What I don't want this episode to be is just a comparison of, oh, the 89 film, the 2019 film. Um, that's not what the whole episode's gonna be. I'm gonna tackle that first and then we're gonna move on to deeper themes. But I do have to address it because anytime there are two versions of a film, especially in the horror genre, 
I mean, it just devolves into comparison quite a bit. And I mean, I have some things to say. So a lot of people are asking me because they know I'm a horror fan and a Stephen King fan. A lot of people were asking me what I thought. And I was trying really carefully, especially out on like the public social media stage to not say too much because I didn't want to, you know, color anyone's thoughts about the new movie. So if you are one of those people that was asking me, like, I hope you're here today. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. So... My personal history with Pet Cemetery is deep. I, it was one of those movies, I don't remember the first time I watched it. I, it's just sort of always been there. I'm sure I was, I don't know, 10, 8, 12, I don't know. But it's just something I've always been familiar with. But I didn't read the book until I was an adult. I think I was, I was 23 or 24, the first time I read the book. And at that point in my life, I've read a lot of scary stuff. I've watched a lot of scary stuff. Like things don't really like scare me much anymore. Like, you know, you'll hear that's a lot of people's criticism with horror movies. They say, well, it wasn't scary. It's like, well, you know, when you're a horror fan, it gets to a point where like things aren't scary. But when I read Pet Cemetery for the first time, I was it was scary, especially the Timmy Baderman chapter, which I will elaborate on later very scary. It was one of those that like I put it down and then like I had to pee in the middle of the night and like I didn't want to get up and walk to the bathroom because I was creeped out, which is always fun. But I would like to make a bold statement about Pet Cemetery and say I think it is one of the best stories that has ever been told. Just because of the again the relatability Um, just the depth. I mean, it's almost like reading like one of those really great Greek tragedies where you just feel for the characters. You don't want them to make the wrong choices. And every time they do, you just like feel it in your soul. Oh, so anyway, I want to move into just a quick comparison of 2019 and 1989. I want to start by talking about the pros of the 2019 version, because I'm going to say a lot of critical things, but I do want to start with the things I liked about it. I loved the beginning. The beginning was strong. I love that they had that overhead shot where it like panned over the Creed house and Judd's house and there's fire and there's blood on the porch and there's bloody handprints and it just looks like chaos. It's like something really horrible has happened here. And then they cut back to show us how we got there, which I thought was just, I thought it was really hard hitting. I appreciated it quite a bit. And also um, speaking of those like, you know, high above wide shots, they did a few of those. Later, they did one where Ellie is in the pet cemetery and they show the view of her from above. And then same thing when Judd is standing in the pet cemetery, it's like a view from from the other side of the deadfall from above. So those things were interesting because I thought that that was an allusion to like the view of the Wendigo spirit. Like he is watching what's going on. Uh, Now, I don't think there was enough of that. I don't think there was like a through line through the whole movie with that. If they had sort of carried that perspective through, it would have been really interesting, I think, an interesting, like subtle concept. 
Um, some other things I really liked about this movie is the cast. I thought the cast was great. The acting was fantastic. Uh, that's one of the weaknesses in the 89 version. Even though I love that cast, you know, the acting is a little like a little weak sometimes. So the cast in the 2019 version, strong, strong. Which leads to another pro, which is the relationships. Um, Lewis and Rachel's relationship in this version is really great. It feels natural. Um, it feels very equal in both, well, more in the 89 version. Um, Rachel's kind of just like a trophy wife and she's a little bit of a mess, you know? She just like needs to pop a Valium a few times and she just, she doesn't seem like very strong. I mean, in the end, she's um, she's she's strong. She's getting back to her family at any cost, but she is just a little bit of like a token trophy wife. Whereas in the 2019 version, Rachel seems very solid and very capable. Even though she does have past trauma, she and Lewis seem to have a more of a sweet, like equal footing relationship. And I also really liked um, Lewis and Ellie's relationship. Now, because of the big change, which again, if you are listening to this, it's going to be spoilery, but because they chose to kill Ellie instead of Gage, of course they need to focus more on Ellie. And they had to change her character a little bit. And so they really zeroed in on the relationship between Lewis and Ellie, which I think is really sweet um, and very strong. So I appreciated that. And, and Gage does take a little bit of a backseat, but that's fine because we, you know, we don't need to focus on his character as much in this movie. Honestly, you probably could have taken Gage out of the movie. Well, it would have messed up one big plot point, but that's okay. Um, another strong thing about this movie was church, of course, like the cats in this movie. I don't know if you guys have seen, but like they were at the uh, like the premiere and like they had their little ties on and they looked just so happy to be there. But the, the church was strong um, in this movie and pretty much across the board, people are saying good things about good old church, which I'm very partial to the the 1989 church, the big fluffy gray. I have wanted a big fluffy gray cat like that since I was a child because of that. So one day I shall have one, but not now. Um, so those are the things I liked about the 2019 version. Um, now I'm going to get into the cons, which are a little easier to talk about. Um, I'm going to try not to just ramble on forever. But um, so I said one of the strong things was the relationships, but that's also one of the weaknesses. Uh, Judd and Lewis's relationship is not good. Um, it's just very it doesn't seem like anything special. It's just kind of very cold. And in the book and in the 89 version, it's integral to the story that Lewis and Judd are close. And we just really lose that here. It still could have worked, but I'll talk about that later. Judd and Ellie also, their relationship in this movie, you're told that it's supposed to be a big deal. However, they don't show you that at all. Like they show... Ellie going into Judd's house and like they have a little conversation, but you don't get that like, oh, Judd feels drawn to Ellie. Like it's a sweet relationship. Uh, and then he tells Lewis later, oh, she has touched my heart in a way that no one has in a long time. Well, don't, don't tell us that. Like take time to build that relationship and like show us that. So I felt like that they asked just to put a lot of faith in that relationship without actually building it. Also, Lewis and Pascal. Pascal might as well have not been in this movie. I felt like the scene where he first speaks to Lewis in 
the hospital room was very weak. It was like very cliche horror jump scary. It wasn't really like, it, it wasn't like a, a grounding moment like it should have been. I think they could have easily just lift, lifted him right out because he just sort of shows up with, I mean, his purpose is to show, introduce Lewis to like the danger of the pet cemetery and say, don't go there. But I think we could have taken his character out and it wouldn't really have hurt the movie. Although there are some really cool scenes with him, just like uh, as far from like a visual standpoint, like when Lewis goes out his bedroom door and he's just in the forest, like that's beautiful. But again, you could pull that off somehow without Pascal. Um, The motivation for me also wasn't really there in this movie. Like we don't really know, like why does Judd all of a sudden change his mind and be like, oh, wait, we're not going to bury the cat here. We're going to go on. They didn't really give a lot of motivation for that. Also, I feel like we don't really know why Lewis takes Ellie up there either other than just the simple fact of like if your child dies of of course it's horrible it's like the most horrible thing that has ever happened to you and you want them back but I feel like they could have really dug into the guilt factor because they've already introduced uh, the change where Rachel is directly responsible for for Zelda's death which by the way I think that was a great change the whole dumbwaiter thing was like very scary So they've already introduced that idea. And then it's technically Lewis's fault that Ellie dies because instead of doing the hard thing as a dad and like putting church down like he should have, he couldn't make the hard decision and he just lets church out into the wild. Well, church comes back. Ellie gets distracted by church in the road. And that's why Ellie dies. So it could have been a great parallel of um, Rachel's guilt, Lewis's guilt over the death of a child. And they really could have hit home that this is why he feels he has to go to the pet cemetery. It's not just to bring his daughter back, but it's because it's his fault. It wasn't supposed to happen. He caused it, so he's going to set it right. But they don't bring that out. And I think that's a real weakness. Um, Speaking of... Ellie's death. I feel like her death was not hard hitting. It just, it just didn't hit me. And maybe it's because I know the story and I know it was going to happen, but it just wasn't that emotional to me. I mean, Gage's death in the book and in the 89 movie, I mean, it's horrible, especially when you see like his little shoe, like bouncing in the road. Oh, it's just, it's horrible. And even though I've seen it a million times, every time it's on, like, even if I just have Pet Cemetery on, like, in the background, I have to stop what I am doing and, like, watch that scene because it's very, very hard hitting. And also, you know, they talked about how in the marketing, this movie was going to be dark. It's, like, darker than the original story. It's going to be so dark. Blah, blah, blah. I felt like it was the opposite of that. And, when Ellie dies, I really thought, especially since the guys who directed this directed Starry Eyes, it's like pretty gory and like body horror and like pretty gross. I thought we were going to like see like gore on her somewhere, actually see what the truck did to her. There wasn't even any blood on her. None. Now, later we see the staples in the back of her head, which was a, a great move. That was a great way to show major trauma without maiming a child, which was very smart. But there at least should have been like blood on her or something like if she was hit by a truck and she died and you're going to show her body either have to not show her body at all or if you're going to show her body like there has to at least be some like evidence of trauma which I understand it's a kid and you got to get this past the ratings board I just think there's a way to do it and they didn't go there so my last two cons and then we're going to move on is 
these two things are kind of related. Um, I think the movie felt a little bit rushed, but also had too much dialogue. Like they had, they explained like literally everything. Judd explains the Wendigo. All the dialogue when they're actually burying church is like very literal. Um, and then the ending, when Ellie comes back and she's possessed by the Wendigo spirit, like she talks so much and it's like not scary. And it just would have been so much better if she would have said less and if her few words would have had like more impact. It just moves into a place of, oh, I'm just watching a basic horror movie. Scary child trying to kill their parent. It's not specific to Pet Cemetery. It just becomes very generic. And I felt the same way about the ending. I don't mind that they changed the ending at all. But what they did with the ending doesn't have anything to say, ultimately. I don't like that the dead were able to bury the dead. Like, that's moving into Pet Cemetery 2 territory, which Pet Cemetery 2 is, like, a great, horrible movie. It's really fun, but, like, one of the big knocks on it was that Wait, but like the people who come back from the pet cemetery are now killing people and burying them in the pet cemetery. Like, it's just a little silly. (sighs) Just a little silly. So I didn't like that. And then I didn't mind that like the the family. Well, I didn't mind that Gage gets killed, but I just thought it was a little ridiculous that like, oh, we're a zombie family and we're going to kill the baby and we're all going to be a zombie family together. Like, it's just what does that mean? Like, what do you say? What is that saying about this story? Like, I don't know what this movie was trying to say. And maybe it's not trying to say anything. Maybe it's just like a boilerplate horror movie. But I feel like the story of Pet Cemetery is, there's so much in it that you could have extracted from it and really like put some like gut-wrenching meaning in this film and to just sort of like fizzle out at the end and give it like a cliche, just typical horror movie ending just really does a disservice to the material and honestly you know I don't know how much the directors had to do with with the writing and the story but I feel like their visuals were great their casting was great the uh, like the atmosphere and like the feeling of the movie was great and then this the story and the ending especially just sort of just really kind of just pulled the rug out from under all of that so if it's not obvious <laughs> from my critique here I much prefer the 89 version. However, there are pros and cons to that one as well. Um, I'm not going to go as in-depth with those, but I think the, the pros of the 89 movie are the atmosphere. It absolutely feels like Pet Cemetery. Feels like the book. It has that sort of slow, sweeping dread. The atmosphere is great. And it's very um, it's like surreal. There's a lot of things that Mary Lambert, the director, did to just sort of like unsettle you like sometimes the camera is more of like the fisheye lens sometimes things are like the camera's like tilted so things feel off kilter um that's part of the reason why she casts uh she cast a man in the role of zelda because like let's be honest zelda does not look like a child with meningitis zelda looks like a witch monster out of a storybook but also we always see Zelda through Rachel's eyes so I've always assumed that like that's not literal that's how Rachel remembers her sister because if you think about like things when you were a kid especially creepy things you experienced when you were a kid like your memories you can't really trust your your memories because you when you're a kid you don't really understand things you interpret things in a certain way so to me it's like well of course that's not what her sister actually looked like but to Rachel 
that's what her sister was. So I always thought those little touches were great. And even though they didn't necessarily all make sense and you didn't necessarily understand all of them, it added a quality to the movie that just really zeroes in on what the book feels like. Um, And again, I'll mention Gage's death is just such a pro for the 89 movie. And people make fun of uh, Del Midkiff, who played Lewis. They make fun of his, like, whenever Church gets run over and he's like, no! Like, people make fun of that. And it is a little silly. But at the same time, I think that moment kind of warrants that. And after Gage gets ran over and they show all the snapshots of him throughout his life. So it's like Lewis is remembering all these these things about Gage's life. I, I just thought that was really beautiful and and hard-hitting. The 2019 one wasn't hard-hitting. This one is hard-hitting and you feel it. Um, but there are some cons to the 89 film. The acting is a weak spot. Um, it's not like super terrible. It's just not like... Del Kiff is a little, his delivery is not like the best. And Rachel's pretty good. It's just, it's just overall the acting is just like, yes, it's just a little weak, but not enough for me to really detract from the movie all that much. And of course, Judd is amazing. Uh, Fred Gwynn, his acting is, his acting and his character is good enough for the whole movie. If everybody else would have completely sucked, we got an amazing, perfect Judd. Oh, so great. So great. And I'm actually, uh, I'll dip back into 2019 for a second. I'm actually really glad that Lithgow didn't try to do just what Fred Gwynn did. So some people were critical because he didn't do the main accent. But it's like, you know what? We got that Judd and it was perfect. So I'm glad that Lithgow just didn't even go there. He's like, you know, I'm not going to try to do that. I'm just going to be my own character. And I think it worked out fine. One other con about the 89 movie is Pascal. Now, I think the way he shows up, like his first scene with Lewis in the hospital, that's terrifying. And like when and where he shows up makes a lot of sense to the story, but he's just a bit too silly. He's a bit too jokey. And I I know he actually, so some people hate Pascal in the 89 version. Some people like him because in such a serious story, he adds a little bit of levity. And I don't mind him being like, sarcastic here and there but he's he is just a bit a bit too silly his makeup though is amazing definitely amazing so to just kind of wrap up this uh comparison my overall thoughts is obviously you know i prefer the 89 film hands down i do appreciate the fresh take of the 2019 version but I just feel that the necessary story work wasn't really put in to justify the direction. And at the end of the day, I feel like the changes they made were just for the sake of changing it. They didn't change it to then make some kind of point later on. Like I said, there's just, there's a lot of great stuff packed into the source material. And I feel like they just didn't take advantage of that and like pull anything out of it, which leaves it just like I said, feeling kind of like a flat, basic horror movie. So what I want to do here is since I complained a lot about it, uh, I want to kind of like step up to the plate and tell you that like, if it was up to me, what would I have done with the 2019 adaptation? Because a lot of times people just criticize and they complain, but they don't have any original ideas. Well, I do. (laughs) 
And so I want to share just if you gave the 2019 version to me, what would I do to, in my opinion, make it great? Okay, here we go. First of all, I would leave Judd's character just pretty much as is. Um, Fred Gwynn's Judd was very warm and open. And as I mentioned, um, John Lithgow's Judd is more of like colder and kind of guarded. But I think that could work to the story's advantage. So instead of him telling us that Ellie has touched him, I think that they could have spent more time showing he and Ellie's relationship and how she has been like a bright spot in like his lonely little dark world. And then we would understand why he would want to rescue her cat. You know, he has an emotional investment in her. He doesn't want her to be hurt. So he decides, oh, well, I have to help protect Ellie because I love her and I don't want her to be sad. So that would be great motivation for why Judd would want to bury Church in the Pet cemetery. So you basically flip the Judd-Lewis relationship that's so important in the book and the movie. You take that relationship and instead of it being Judd-Lewis, you make it Judd-Ellie and just really, really build into that relationship. And I already kind of mentioned this, but I think you got to make a bigger deal out of Lewis's guilt for Ellie's death. Like I said, it makes a great parallel to Rachel's guilt about Zelda. And then we would more understand why he takes her to the Micmac burial ground because he feels her death wasn't a natural act, but he caused it. So he needs to set it right. Um, And in this way, it really plays on that idea of like how the Wendigo spirit makes you feel justified and gives you reasons to come back. So even though we know he's being manipulated by this like force, it still has a motivation and we feel for him and we understand a little more why he would be compelled to do this. So in the end, Ellie comes back and kills her family, just like she does in the actual movie. And honestly, like... I don't know, have her kill Gage too. I I would either have her kill her entire family or Gage never came back from Rachel's parents' house. Just leave Gage there. Kind of like Ellie was left there uh, in the original story. Either way, either Ellie comes back and kills her parents or she comes back and kills her whole family. Which again, if you had her kill Gage, oh, that would bring that gravity back. That, oh, did they really do that? Bring that gravity back. But anyway, at the end of the day, what I'm saying is, Ellie kills her whole family and Judd is the sole survivor. Okay. Don't kill Judd. Leave him as the sole survivor. And then he has to be the one to put Ellie down. And of course, this is going to play off our emotions again because we've seen them have the close connection. So just like we feel very, very invested when Lewis has to put Gage down, we're going to feel that same emotional connection because Judd has to put Ellie down. And we know what she's meant to him. We've watched him grow with her. We've watched that relationship grow. That relationship is the thing that put this whole thing in motion with the cat. Mm. It would be a beautiful moment. And so then Judd's the one to burn the house down. And I would have it be the Creed house, not Judd's house. So all this carnage took place in the Creed house. Judd puts Ellie down. Judd burns down the Creed house to, of course, hide the carnage and hide all the bodies, but also 
to prevent anyone else from moving in there. So he's lived in his house his whole life. They, they established this earlier on. He's from Ludlow. He's seen a lot of stuff go down in Ludlow. So here he is. He's the cause of this last piece of tragedy. And we know he's already a cold, guarded character. And he is just left alone in his guilt and regret. I just think that would be such a hard-hitting ending. Maybe even the last scene is like Judd sitting on his porch and you can like see the fire from the Crete house reflected in his eyes and his face is just like, oh, I just feel like there's, it would just be, I feel like that would be the impactful ending that we need. That's what I think. So there that is. So let me know what you think about that. Do you think that would be a better, better take on the 2019 version? Would that fix it? Do you think there's problems with my plot here? Like, let me know. I want to hear. Um, or if you have any clout and you want to make the next adaptation in 10, 20, 30 years, like hit me up. You can have my idea. No fair. No fair. No fair. So we've talked about the movies fairly extensively. And so I really want to move on to just the general themes presented in, in Pet Cemetery. Um, there's going to be a lot of book discussion here. Uh, but it all fits back into the films as well. So there are a few main themes in Pet Cemetery. The most obvious of those is death and grief. I mean, the whole movie revolves around death and grief. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why this story has such a mass appeal because not only are death and grief the darkest of human emotions, but they are emotions that everyone will experience at some point. We are all going to lose someone we love to death, and we are going to die someday. All humans share this. So, I mean, that's just, it may, It just grounds this story and makes it very serious and very important because of that. So on the heels of that, hand in hand with the death and the grief in this book, there are obviously themes of resurrection. And this is one of those books that really makes me ponder Stephen King's religious beliefs. Uh, he definitely has not been shy about his critique of organized religion. And I think his sort of sp suspicion towards like religious figures. But I have a theory that Stephen King does believe in God. I mean, if, you, if you've read very many of his books, there's usually kind of a positive bent towards, you know, like a higher power. And there's a hopefulness to a lot of his books that I feel like he has this, this kind of worldview that like everything's going to turn out okay in the end, uh, which is a very kind of Christian belief, you know, not that you have to be Christian to believe that. Um, and, you know, also we just celebrated Easter not that long ago, which always brings about you know, thoughts about resurrection. And so the fact that I was researching kind of this episode at the same time Easter was going on, it got me thinking about some biblical recounts of resurrection. I just quickly kind of want to go through some of those. This book constantly refers to Lazarus. And if you don't know the story about Lazarus, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus. He died. Jesus was away. Uh, and while he was sick, Lazarus' sister sent for Jesus. They said, Lazarus is sick. Please come here. We know you can heal him. Well, Jesus shows up and he's too late. Lazarus has already died. So Jesus goes out to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. 
Lazarus is raised from the dead and everyone's happy, right? So you read that story in Sunday school and it's like, oh, yay, Lazarus is so happy. He, he rose from the dead and he's with his family and it's like very happy. Um, however, if you're a normal person and you didn't grow up in church and you don't know that story, you're like, whoa, that is terrifying. <laughs> this man just raised from the dead and everyone's very nonchalant about it. So you're going to hear some page rustling because I'm looking up excerpts from the book as I go through this. This book is in three different sections and there's a little excerpt from the Lazarus story at the beginning of each section that pertain to that section, which I think is, I love that Stephen King does that. It's really beautiful. And I think my favorite of these excerpts is the very first one. So you read this before you even read the first words that he wrote in this story. Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then the disciples looked at each other and some smiled because they did not know Jesus had spoken in a figure. Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. So then Jesus spoke to them more plainly. Lazarus is dead, yes. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So that scripture paired with this story, it's just, it's this beautiful parallel and it's just a little ominous, you know. You read the story in the Bible and uh, again, it's a happy story of like regaining a family member and a friend, but when you read it at the beginning of this story, uh, you're just like, oh, something's a little off. We, we kind of have a feeling we're going somewhere dark. Another scripture that I just want to mention in passing um, is in 2 Samuel. Uh, this is a story about King David. His wife has had a child and the child died. This doesn't have necessarily a direct tie-in with Pet Cemetery that I've been able to like extract thus far. But when I was... I was in church one day and the scripture was being read. And when they read this particular scripture, like it made me think of Pet Cemetery, And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So this is David speaking. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I guess it's just kind of the, uh, I can see a little bit of Lewis creed in David in that particular passage. When uh, this is right after the funeral, I think Rachel is sleeping or something and Lewis is kind of rattling around the house by himself and he's getting drunk basically. And his attitude here reminds me of David's attitude in that scripture. It says that he's on his eighth or ninth beer. Here we go. The thought came so naturally that it surely must have been there all along, simply waiting its time to come forward from the back of his mind. When are you going to do it? When are you going to bury Gage in the annex to the pet cemetery? And on the heels of that, Lazarus, come forth. Ellie's sleepy, dazed voice. The teacher said if he'd just said come forth, probably everybody in that graveyard would have come out. A chill of such elemental force struck him that Lewis clutched himself as the shutter twisted through his body. You know, these themes are kind of like subtly woven in and you don't really need to be familiar with these stories or know the Bible um, in order, you know, to extract deeper meaning out of some of these themes. But if you do, I think it just adds another layer to this kind of eeriness of resurrection and how 
it's really seen as like unnatural and they refer to it as an abomination in the first movie and maybe in the book too. Um, and even in uh, Pet Cemetery 2019, there is one point where Lewis says God can kill his own child, which is a twist on um, Ellie in the book and in the first movie, Ellie being upset about church when she realizes that church is going to die someday. She gets upset. And she's like, no, if God wants a cat, God can get his own cat. He can't have my cat. So I thought it was really interesting in Pet Cemetery 2019 when Lewis is mad and he's like, God can kill his own child. And I thought that was really uh, just a twist and an extra bit of oomph as far as the abomination of the whole thing goes. And uh, for, for Lewis in particular, in that moment, I think it's definitely railing against God and and more specifically for him, nature, like the natural order of things, because he doesn't really believe in God. But it's the blasphemy of the Micmac burial ground also mixed with like pride and the sin of trying to be like God or trying to overthrow nature, depending upon you know the view of the person who's saying these things. So all of these things are tied up in this resurrection theme that goes hand in hand with death and grief. The next thing I want to talk about that I think Pet Cemetery tackles on a very like low key level is just the nature of evil. Um, this is always like subtly flowing through the book and there aren't a lot of really obvious things to point to it, but whatever it is that lives out there in the Pet Cemetery is very clearly like pure evil. It distorts good things. It turns you into a monster. It causes you to consume your fellow human beings. And in a lot of cultures, I mean, there's not a worse taboo than eating humans. It's still very taboo. See my Wendigo episode from a few months ago. (laughs) But I think that this whole nature of evil is really brought right up into your face. Chapter 39 when Judd is talking about Timmy Baderman. Now I will tell you, that is the chapter that made me afraid to get out of bed in the middle of of the night. Timmy Baderman is just terrifying and the way that chapter is written is really beautiful. Oh, it's just heavy. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? Christ on his throne, no. Whoever would. So this is right after Lewis has gotten drunk. Judd comes over because Judd knows that Lewis is probably having some dark thoughts and Judd feels responsibility. He introduced Lewis to the burial ground. He knows the nature of the place. So he's come over to just have a little chat with Lewis. And he has to tell Lewis about Timmy Baderman so that Lewis has all the information and that he knows if you bury a human in the pet cemetery, it will not be good. He doesn't want to talk about it. He feels like he has to share this story. So it's really hard to pick one excerpt from the Timmy Baderman chapter because the whole thing is so good. But uh, this particular section speaks most directly to what I'm saying about the nature of evil and the nature of the Wendigo and the nature of the Micmac burial ground. Judd's talking about what Timmy is saying. And basically, Timmy knows everybody's dirty secrets. And so as they're standing around trying to take care of the situation, trying to take Timmy back, he's going around the circle, calling out all the worst things they've ever done. 
And so Judd says, it was only the bad it wanted to talk about, though. It was only the bad it wanted us to remember because it was bad and because it knew we meant danger for it. The Timmy Baderman that went off to fight the war was a nice, ordinary kid, Lewis, maybe a little dull but good-hearted. The thing we saw that night, looking up into that red sun, that was a monster. Maybe there's no name for such a thing as that, but the Micmacs would have known what it was, name or no. So as you dig into the book and the movies and the Wendigo legend, you'll see what I'm talking about, about that just kind of low-key, subconscious nature of evil kind of brewing underneath everything. I think it's like the magic that makes this book so scary. Uh, There's a lot of real specific call-out scary things, but always going on in the background, you can tell there's just this low hum of like something bigger is going on here. And the Timmy Baderman chapter brings that right out front and center. So the last thing that I want to talk about is the idea of addiction, free will, and human nature. Uh, on the Losers Club podcast, when they talked about Pet Cemetery, there was a little debate about whether or not Lewis had free will when it came to the Pet Cemetery, which was something I had never thought about. I was like, well, of course he did. But uh, some of the people on the show were arguing that basically he never had a choice. You know, he moved into this house. Judge showed him the way up there. Once he got up there, now he's hooked and that he never really had a choice in the matter. I still am going to argue that he did have a choice in the matter. Uh, Obviously, not with church. He didn't know where he was going or what he was doing. But when he chooses to ignore Pascal and take the steps to go back into the pet cemetery, especially after hearing about Timmy Baderman. I mean, he knew what he was doing, I think, grief or not. And I think, as they point out in the book and the movies, the grief is just a tool for the Wendigo, basically. He uses it to get you there. So I believe that Lewis always knew it was wrong and that it wasn't the right choice. 